Barum is relationships. Barum is you and me and everyone in America. What are you talking about? The room is different cookie cutter、mm-hmm. from Hollywood. Yeah, man, you never know. People are very strange these days. What's going on? Welcome to the Room Minute, the podcast where we get obsessed with the cinematic classic, The Room, one minute at a time. You have no idea what kind of trouble you're in here, do you? Why are you so hysterical? We always wanted people actually talk about it. I did not hit her. It's not true. It's bullshit. I did not hit her. I did not. Oh hi, Mark. Ready?、Yep. Oh hi, Allison. Oh hi, Rob. <laughs> Wait, did、pause. I not do it right? There, there was a long pause. I just edited it out. Edited out my laughter. I、oh, know. You leave it in there. I think it's building the tension.、I'll、leave it. Yeah. Um. Oh. Yeah, oh. Hi, I, oh. Hi, Brad. <laughs> Oh hi, Robert, and, and oh、Allison. hi, listeners. Oh hi. We're here for minute fifty of the room, which I have entitled in my notes "Seriously, Claudette's Story and Claudette's Friends." Let's see that movie. Right. So, something I got to tell you guys. I, I have a.、Uh, I have three kids. I have a nine-year-old, and I have twin seven-year-olds. And my、uh, younger, one of the twins, my、uh, son Logan, he talks. Like Tommy was out, he talks like Tommy. <laughs> and does he punctuate with laughter? Yeah, does he <laughs> sometimes? But one one thing that he does is if he if his sister accuses him of being bad or doing something, he'll walk out. It's like I did not do it. I did not. I was like, <laughs> I just want him to throw a water bottle at that second. Come on, buddy, go for it. Lean into it. <laughs> gotta go. You gotta go all the way. Do you have any friends named Mark? Come on. <laughs> Can we position your friend Mark he right say, here? Oh hi, Daddy! I was like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it was great. It, it's like, it, it's like, it, but that sort of leans into it. That's the way Tommy Wiseau talks. He talks like somebody who's just like seven years into learning the English language, which he may be. He may be. Right. He's a Polish guy who lived in New Orleans for a while and then moved to San Francisco. When he started speaking English, I don't know. After this film, maybe. <laughs> Well, and it's also crazy because how long has the room been out? And he, you still hear him in interviews, and you, you talked about the neighbors. He hasn't improved. He's no, definitely like reached、no. his peak. It. I don't think he has had motivation to improve. It's maybe even gotten worse because all, the only time you see him in public now is like late late at night at screenings or late night interviews. Although I guess they film those earlier in the day, but well, wouldn't it be great if it turns out he, this was all an act that he's just been playing a long con on everyone, and then privately he talks like Prince Charles? <laughs> that would be awesome. It's like when I finally heard、um, Teller from Penn and Teller speak. Oh, that's so weird! And I was like, oh my god, this guy is awesome! Like I loved it. He has this great voice. Like he's a great speaker. And、he's eloquent, and I'm like, that is amazing that he spends so much time like in public. He's just silent. And he's awesome. And if 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 Tommy Wiseau was running like a long what's Andy Kaufman kind of thing, yeah, where this is all a character, oh, that would be the greatest. What was it?、Um, Mick Jagger actually speaks with sort of a posh accent in private, <laughs>、um, but his persona has been in you know, the Mick Jagger, sort of a rough-hewn guy. Yeah. So he speaks with,、uh, I think the term is a Mockney accent. Yeah. It's like, but 
So, which would be like if you found out all this time that I don't, I don't know. I, imagine if Prince spoke with a Southern draw for his entire career. <laughs> I've wanted to do that for a class, like just show up and just on day one, just start with an accent. See how long it takes him to realize that I'm faking it. It would probably last right until somebody with an actual Southern accent showed up. Yeah. <laughs> well, I don't think I could do a Southern that consistently, but yeah, something. Um, where are we? This minute begins with, uh, I've got one more bit from the original script, air quotes, original script. I'll probably bring it up again in some other minutes because it's still funny, but now I, I don't believe it anymore. Mark is helping Bran walk away. And then Billy says, take care of him, Mark. Billy picks up the football and starts to cry. Oh man, oh man, oh man. Johnny puts his arm around Billy and together they start to sing as they watch Mark and Bran head off to the hospital. Onward Christian soldiers marching us to war. End scene. <laughs> We're actually coming up on the end of Act 2 in that version of the script because it's still written like a play. This start to finish is the stagiest minute um, probably not. Well, I think this movie would work would work well on the stage. It's supposed to be a single room, like literally the room, which is this apartment that all these friends go in and out of, and stuff happens. As soon as they built a two story set, well, a looks like two story set, it became something else, and then they filmed they made an alley set, and a rooftop set. It just I don't know, it went weird places. It shouldn't have gone. Well, and then when it sort of fades into the next scene, you have. Lisa and Claudette, when I see this scene, all I can think of is um, uh, Noises Off, <laughs> where they have the character come in, brings in a box, pulls the stuff out of the box, and explains what's in the box, and basically does all this exposition and walks off. And you have, uh, in, in the movie version, uh, Christopher Reeve, who was brilliant in the movie. Oh, yeah. It's like, yeah, why do I come on here and just explain everything just to walk back off? Which happens all the time in plays. Yeah, because if, if you don't, the box won't be there when they need it later. So, and it's definitely that scene where Lisa and Claudette have no reason to just walk into the room, throw out all this dialogue, and just basically vomit all this exposition onto the audience, and then immediately walk out. Uh, and of course then, you have a, a trope that's used all the time in movies, and especially in TV shows, the whole thing of, we're gonna talk about the person, and share the big secret, Right when they're around the corner listening. Before we get to that scene, I just have a note about the end of the previous scene. Because I think it's important. After they filmed it, Sandy Chaclair goes over to Tommy thinking, oh, that scene doesn't work at all, but it doesn't matter to the plot, we'll just cut it. Tommy responded by saying, no, this is good, fun scene, we have good chemistry. And look at this. And he direct, he looked at the monitor and says, you see that? I look strong, like little 18-year-old kid. <laughs> and Sandy Chaclair says, that's when I realized why the scene meant so much to him. In the monitor, at least, Tommy was young and had a fun life and many, many friends. <sighs> Which is, it's, it's really heartbreaking. Yeah. It is. Tommy Wiseau is a, a successful guy. Mm-hmm. Um, in many, in multiple ways. In multiple ways, and yeah, it's a lot of people make fun of him for his looks, but let's not kid ourselves. He's a striking looking guy. Mm -hmm. Um, as a younger man, he probably was attractive. I don't know. I mean, he's old at this yeah. point. Good shape, you know. He, he's, and he's been injured. He's has damage, like his left eye doesn't work quite right because of a head injury. 
you know, and he's fit, he's in good shape, a successful guy. There's, it's a, it's sad, and uh, and also because he has sort of the, the, you know, he has a cool accent and <laughs> sort of a like, you know, he has stuff going for him. But you know, that's the thing where, but but for whatever reason, he can't, he has a tough time connecting with people or doesn't connect with people the way he thinks should happen and I think has sort of a weird view. And I think this movie is a proof that he has a weird view of what friendship and having friends is like. You know who I think he could have been? You know who Robert Zadar is? I'm not... He was in a lot of action movies in the 80s into the early 90s. I believe he died a few years back. He's a giant chin. You'd know him if you saw him. He has a, yeah, he was Maniac Cop. Yeah, yeah. And he was in uh, Tango and Cash. Was he in Tango and Cash? I don't know yes. that. Cool. Tommy Wiseau could have been that guy. He has a very distinctive look, and he could have been these mostly villainous characters, but charismatic. He's, right. He may be weird looking, but he's got charisma. You see him, and you want to look at him. You want to see what he's doing. And he could have been that. You don't understand. I could have had class. I could have been a contender. I could have been somebody. Instead of a bum, which is what I am. Let's face it. But they, they do a good point of that in the Disaster Artist movie where the acting teacher tells him that he looks like Frankenstein and he's a villain and he insists he's not a villain. You have a malevolent presence. You are a perfect villain. I'm hero. If Tommy had just embraced being a villain, he could have been in lots and lots of movies. With, yeah, with his looks and leaning into what he did well and also and this is so much of <laughs> sadly and it shouldn't be but a lot of acting a lot of people who have success the ability to just go for it yeah so, you know oh, he's got he, that yeah he, he's willing to do whatever it takes and he also doesn't have to worry about starving right so i i've known a couple people who went into the the field and either they were very good at living off of five cents a day mm-hmm or they had family support so they didn't have to worry about making ends meet for the first five years when they're struggling. And they're able to have some success that way. Yeah. And Tommy Wiseau obviously had the money to put, put into this Right. Movie. By the time he decides he wants to be an actor, he's already got money. Yeah. Now, going into the next scene, I have a question for you, Allison, if you have the mm-hmm. scene running. Where are Lisa and Claudette coming from? Let me see. <laughs> Oh, they're not coming from the front door, are they? No. They're coming from the alcohol and chair storage room. Were they getting drunk? And I don't know. Play, and playing with chairs? Maybe. I didn't even notice that. Yeah, they come from that door. Uh, oh, and toward that. the end of the scene, like even in the middle of the scene, Claudette's already heading for the exit door. Which which is funny because... Should I, let's see. I think it's only a couple notes. I'll get to the notes from a midnight screening right away. Notes from a midnight screening. The first note is people telling them to close the fucking door, which they always do when they leave the front door open. But that's not the door they left open. So I'm like, shut up. (laughs) Weird audience people. This minute, we also get lots of cries of spoons. And basically, this entire minute is people throwing spoons at the screen because those spoons just keep staying in the shot because they're on that table behind the conversation. What's What's been the the explanation of the spoons? It's just Tommy liked those pictures. It's not even that. It's they needed frames to put on a table, sent someone to a store, brought them, and then rather than put pictures in them, you know, fake some pictures or whatever, 
they just stuck them on the table and started filming. So it wasn't that he liked spoons. He just didn't want to wait any longer for them to make proper background stuff. Honestly, that's not, that's probably the least crazy explanation I've heard for anything involved with this movie. What I like is that it's not even just spoons. There's a couple with like leaves. They're interesting together. They just shouldn't be on a table. You don't put your art photos on a table. You put those on a wall. You're right. This movie's so insane. (laughs) (laughs) So then we get, yeah, Lisa and Claudette coming to just explain everything. As usual. Juliet is so checked out by this point. (laughs) Yes, this scene, I don't sure, most of the movie was filmed approximately in order, except for certain sequences. So this was probably a good way into production. She might be over it. This, this is, other than the party scene, this is one of Claudette's last bits. So. Claudette's working so hard. Mm-hmm. She's already had the day where she nearly passed out and had to go to the hospital. And Lisa is, she's just sleepwalking. And have you guys, um, how much familiarity do you have with the, the room actors? Where are they now? I've seen all of season one and I don't know if I've kept up with season two because I was trying to figure out how many episodes were up and couldn't find them. So I don't know. Uh, Julia, she, she shows some comedic chops and some energy. Right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and there's other scenes in the room where she, she's doing what she can. It's a terrible role. Oh, yeah. But, yeah, it, you can just see that she, she's done with this. She's like, well, and probably thing is like, no one's ever going to see this. Mm-hmm. Poor thing. And, uh, you know, wrong again, sadly. <laughs> Whereas Carolyn Minot, on the other hand, doesn't care, I don't think, whether anyone's going to see it. She just wants to do it well. But you know what? Yeah. So many actors start in anonymity and then die in anonymity. And would mm-hmm. you rather it be like that? Or would you rather at least be known for something? I don't know. Infamy can be pretty good. You know, it's being famous for bad. If you can use it well, or ignore it when you need to. I think uh, Juliet Daniel does a good job of staying away from it most of the time, and then some of them embrace it. They go to the, they go be a guest at screenings. But even that is mostly Greg and Tommy. I think she would have been fine with it, except for, I know some of the audiences have been really mean about the nude scenes oh they are mean to a lot of her scenes they're mean to all her scenes they're mean if she walks on the stairs they're mean if she says anything bad yeah the audience doesn't like lisa and and lisa's unlikable but that's and but and and i don't know i don't even think lisa's unlikable but uh, i haven't i've never been to a a midnight showing of this i've never seen the room in the theaters do you think, Robert, from your perspective, do you think the audience understands, are they being mean to Lisa or are they being mean to Juliet? Mm. Most of the, cause that's the fine line. And it, it may not matter to her. I don't want to, I, I can't speak for her, obviously. The way I, the way it plays is their better responses, like their funny ones, seem like they're Lisa. Mm-hmm. Like when she gets quiet after a scene with her mother and they do, dear diary, my mom's a bitch. And stuff like that. And they make fun of just the way she makes faces. And her neck. But then the stuff with like her on the stairs where they're like boom, boom, boom when she walks on the stairs or when they freak out every time that thing in her neck moves in that one scene because she's sitting at a weird angle. That is, that's not an attack on Lisa. That's just them being rude to an actress on screen. And then, but then because it's mostly like drunk college students, it keeps playing that way and they keep doing it. And it's now a thing you have to do. 
is freak out at the thing in the neck and make fun of her as if she's the fattest person ever when she's on the stairs, which isn't nice. All right. Yeah. They don't do that when other people walk on those stairs. It's, yeah. It, 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 so I can, I completely understand her having different feelings for that. Um, I was lucky enough to interview Robin Paris for uh, the Cosmic Chipetto podcast. Mm. And she's nice. She's nice. And she has, she's, I think, a legit, a legit talented actress. Mm-hmm. And when we talked a little bit about the, the, the room, where actors, where are they now? That's her brainchild. Yeah. She wrote and directed it and, you know, is the creative force behind that. So she's a very creative woman. And she did talk, and when she was on, she did talk about trying to sort of avoid it because she was trying to make her own way, but then leaning into it a bit. But she had the advantage because she didn't have to, she didn't have the nude scene. She didn't have right. to deal with that. It's, so you can see how it could be easier for her to sort of dance in and out of that world because the cruelty isn't there. Right. Also, just a pl- chance for me to plug episodes of the Cosmic Geppetto podcast mm-hmm. that I had her on. I've been, I've messaged her online and she's gotten back to me about being a guest, but it hasn't happened yet because of schedules. Maybe we'll get her sometime. Robin, if you're actually listening, get back to me again. (laughs) Yeah, if you can, if you can get her, great. She's crazy busy because we tried to get her back again and we couldn't quite make the scheduling work out. Well, yeah, it'll be like weeks before I hear back from her and then she's like really nice in the message and I realize it's just because it's been weeks since she got around to looking at her messages. So that's fine. I understand. People are busy. And we're some random podcast about a movie. That, unless she's listening to every episode, which I doubt. She doesn't know we're, we're, we're fairly nice. Yeah. yeah. No, we're nice Even when people. we say bad things, we're nice about it. We well, don't bite well, hard. I think it, <laughs> I think what, um, and I have a chance for me to, to, to compliment you guys. It'd be real easy to just take the piss out of this movie. Yeah. And say it's a lousy movie, which I, I don't think is in dispute the, the problems with this film. But you guys also are very good at sort of calling out. It's like, hey, some of these actors have charisma and talent, and mm-hmm. uh, and Tommy has his weaknesses, but he also has his strengths. Yep. Um, because uh, you know, I think you had a good description of it last minute, where it seems like a couple more drafts, and this could have been good. Yeah. Because it is actors who are trying. It is a lead man who wants to say something with his movie. And the movie almost says it, but it's kind of, it's a little iffy on what exactly it's trying to say because it doesn't have that reread and rewrite and edit. There's no edit, there's no p- producer pushing him around and making him improve things because he's the producer, the director, the writer, and the star. He needed someone else to tell him what to do. Yeah, there's definitely a thing where a lot of, a, a, there's definitely a thing where a lot of movies survive and can become go from bad to good or good to get to great based on the editing of the film. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's been plenty of cases of movies that were released and were panned or did poorly and then 5, 10, however many years later, the director's edition or whatever version of it comes out. And it's like, oh, this is what it could have been, but the editing was poor from the first release. Yeah. Now, I'm not – and again, I'm not saying that this was – that would have saved this and turned it into an Oscar caliber film or anything like that. But, uh, well, in, in this minute, there's a lot of, uh, actually, I think the, the next minute really needed some editing, but we'll, we'll get to that tomorrow or mm-hmm. Friday. Yeah. Friday. I'm, 
I do have a comment on Claudette's line because she's talking about her friend. And so I asked Johnny if he could help her with the down payment. And she says, All he can tell me is it's an awkward situation. And, and it occurred to me, I cannot imagine Johnny saying that, like that specific phrase. I, I'm trying to imagine it in his voice and I just can't do it. What? None of this works. First <laughs> off, the Johnny we've been presented would just put the money down. Yeah. And second, just her asking him to put the money down is crazy. And then also, it's like, why won't your husband do this? Well, he's not my husband. It's like, but he's part of the family. He's like, wait a minute. Why, why have those lines? Like your mom would call your fiance or your, her long-term boyfriend, your husband. You wouldn't do that anyway. It, it, the whole thing is weird and just adding, having lines in there for the sake of having lines. Like this, this should have been two, three lines shorter. Yeah. It, it also makes it a little unclear as to what Johnny is upset about overhearing this conversation. Is he upset about what Claudette says about it being awkward or Juliet saying he's not my husband, which is technically true or Claudette saying he's part of the family? Which is positive, or just the fact that Lisa's cheated on? Because like it's next minute, but his line is like, "How can they say this about me?" Right. Yeah. That's and this isn't that isn't what he should be know, saying. Twenty nineteen, where that's a singular pronoun he could use for Lisa. You know, this is he means them both, but Claudette didn't say anything bad about it. Yeah. Yeah. None of this works. This is all insane. And it's like just. Cut out part of that dialogue a little, which, note to self, for the future re-edit of the movie, alter this scene. Give a couple more, like, cut to a reaction shot of him with the voiceover over it so that you can alter what the dialogue's doing because there's a couple lines it doesn't need. Although I love Claudette's stories because she she has several of them and they're all amazing. So I want to see her movie. Oh, Claudette's great. Yeah, they should have made a sequel. She... And, and- God bless the actress because she sells this stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this was her big thing. That's that's a great thing that um, I think Greg Sestero that says it in The Disaster Artist where he thinks the reason – like Carolyn Minotta is the only actor that Tommy was never mean to on set. Even the day that like she almost passed out, he was more upset because he didn't realize that was his responsibility. He wasn't mad at her. But he was always nice to her and Greg's like, I think it's because she was A, the older, only person older than him. But also, she was just like him, an old person who decided they want to get into acting. She had wanted to be an actor when she was younger and then couldn't because she had kids. So her kids got old enough. She's like, I'm going to go try this. And she was. And she did it. And it was great. Yeah. Tommy was pretty notorious for being lousy to his actors. Mm -hmm. Uh, Actually, we talked a little bit about uh, Neighbors. I knew people who auditioned for Neighbors. Mm Mm-hmm. And a uh, young woman that I, I worked with in Baltimore Community Theater. And then she um, went out to to California, to, to, and she's still she's still working at it. And she got called back for neighbors. She said it was awful. He's <laughs> like he's so rude and terrible to people who audition. Right, yells at them. You have people with some really great resumes, and he, he was very belittling, and he. he He's like he was just terrible. Tommy was. Tommy yeah. was. He, he was really pretty dismissive and insulting to the people who auditioned for it. Well, that makes me sad. You really, you want him to be a nice guy, if nothing else. You want to have some redeeming quality. 
You know? <laughs> like, right. yeah, you can't make movies, but he's nice. It's like a belligerent director, we've seen that. A belligerent lead actor, we've seen that. Maybe a belligerent producer, but when you're all three, you should at some point be nice. And when you're bad at all three, and then you're not nice. Right. And then also just the fact that he's made a lot of money and accrued a lot of fame for being bad at all three. Mm-hmm. So it'd be great. Well, what's the, um, remember William Hung from, yeah, I do. Oh, from American Idol? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, Stains yeah, like a American bee, Idol. Like every yeah. time. Tell me your name. You blow me off like it's all the same. You lit it fuse and I'm taking away like a bomb. Yeah, baby. Talk to me. Tell me your sign. You're switching sides like a Gemini. You're playing games and now you're hitting my heart like a drum. Yeah, baby. She plays. She plays. Oh, baby. But she moves. She moves. I go crazy cause she looks like a flop, but she stings like a bee. Like every girl in history. She bangs, she bangs. Thank I'm you. wasted by the way Thank she... you. Terrible singer and awkward looking, but a real sweetheart of a guy. Oh, so yeah. he was able to ride that audition and that fame too. They, he got to record one or two albums and they did a video. And he was obviously lousy at it, but it, 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 but it was a bit of a joke. But he got to have like a little weird taste of fame. Mm-hmm. But he came across as such a sweetheart, right? That nobody had any problem with it. Yeah. What if he were also an asshole? You know. Yeah. And Tommy was out again. That's just one story. Although there's also uh, we talked a little bit about the documentary Room Full of Spoons mm-hmm. that he is suing the heck out of Rick Harper, the director of that. Film. Well, not anymore. From what I've heard, the lawsuits over it just. The room, the movie has been screwed because it never got into festivals because it lost it. Right. And so it just never got to distribute. Scare the crap out of everyone. Which is so, but you know, yeah, it's sad because that movie, that little piece of creativity was never able to get it because Tommy was being a dick. And if Tommy had embraced it, it probably would have done really well and promoted Tommy's movie. Oh yeah. So it's a shame when that, when you get those little glimpses of a little bit of megalomania on his part mm-hmm. and arrogance and insecurity, it seems to be, and I'm playing armchair psychiatrist, which I shouldn't do, but what the It's hell fine. We're going to get an armchair psychiatrist in, what, the next scene? Yeah. Two scenes from now. <laughs> you know, that he, that seems to come from his own insecurity. Yeah. Which you saw a lot of uh, in Disaster Artists. Yep. It's something that movie kind of shows pretty well, I think, is why he is who he is. It's unfortunate, and I don't know. Still, the movie overall is, I was going to say it's cohesive, but it's not quite cohesive, but it's close. So, I'm just looking at my notes. We sort of hit my notes, actually. I'm just still stunned when I, I've watched rewatched this minute several times leading up to today, and just how checked out Juliet was. And, you know, that... That also is a failure of the director. Yeah. Because I'm sure every show has a day, movie, filming, TV, play, whatever, has those days where the cast shows up and they're just not feeling it and you gotta pull them aside and pump them up again. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the director's job. And you could just sort of see that there's, they're not getting any guidance and in Disaster Artists, the book, uh, Sestero did talk about how Tommy didn't really show a lot of interest in directing the actors a no. lot of the time. 
All he worried about is that they said the words that were on a script. He didn't do much directing of their acting. He just made sure that they were saying the words? Essentially, yeah. And he got mad sometimes when they wouldn't. Like, I know he got mad at Greg when he wouldn't say his words in the the phone scene where he's sitting in the car. He wouldn't say the lines as they were on the script because they were bad. And he tried to say them a different way and Johnny got mad. He put on the sunglasses just to annoy Johnny because of that. Because that was, that shot was a pickup shot they filmed late in the production. And he was tired. Yeah, and these words, uh, these lines is written, and I think we sort of touched on that at the last minute. You can see the actors sort of mumbling through because they're, they don't seem like words that the, you want to say in the English language. Like, almost like they're tricky sentences to get out of your mouth. Yeah, and there's lots of repetition the way Tommy writes. And it's stuff that, Maybe would happen in a real conversation, but it doesn't happen in a movie conversation. Because we expect a movie conversation to flow a little better. It's almost, you could argue that this is closer to reality in a way, but then it isn't as watchable. Well, also, the problem, there is a little bit of reality, but the fact that everybody talks the same way. Everyone talks Tommy language. True, true. So, that weirds it out. And... It's like if one person talks the way Tommy did, that'd be fine. Mm-hmm. But, you know, because everyone's sort of coughing out the lines the way he, you know, his lines and his words, and because he doesn't have the ability to give di- different voices to the characters, it makes it weird. It's sort of like in the movie Disaster Artists where Tommy had his cameo. So there's Tommy, to- you know, real life Tommy talking with uh, yeah. James Franco Tommy, both with that weird dialogue. It's like, oh, yeah, this is sort of what the movie was like. Yeah. Is it everyone sounds... Unfortunately, the same, no matter how different their voices might be. Or no matter how different they're trying, which is why Chris R. stands out and why Michelle stands out and Claudette. Because you can feel like they're trying, even though they're stuck with those words, they're trying to give it more life. Well, and they also just let their performance overwhelm the words. It's like, okay, they could be talking chicken language, and it would work because they bring an intensity or uh, charisma to it. And in a couple minutes when we get to Peter, he has a concussion during that scene. You know, he can barely see and he still manages to say his lines. And you can't, if you don't know that, you don't know that because it sounds so much like everything else any room else is saying. Everyone's talking like they have a concussion. Yeah. <laughs> Essentially, yes. Oh my god. Yeah. <laughs> uh, anything else on, what is this, minute 50? That's all I got. Before Lisa starts to cross her arms and we're clear. No, that's all I have. <laughs> uh, so one more time, Brad, where can the listeners find more of you? Uh, check out the Cosmic Geppetto podcast on your favorite uh, podcatcher. And hey, give us a related review while you're at it. But give a listen. Uh, as of this recording, our most recent episode was our 2019 Halloween episode that had a fantastic uh, review of the best uh, horror films of 2019 from Mr. Robert Black, the superstar. <laughs> Check out the Cosmic Geppetto listeners page where you get the, the, the latest and greatest updates on what we're up to. Uh, I am I am the host and co-founder of the Cosmic Geppetto podcast. We've been doing it for ah, 174 episodes at last count. It's been a great time. We've had fantastic guests. And I'm also the producer of the Escape from New York Minute podcast where we talk about that um, – that classic film where we have amazing guests. And uh, Mr. Robert Black was on that as well, and he knocked it out of the park. Robert, <laughs> you're always awesome. You're just always awesome. Thank you. So, uh, yeah, come and join the fun. But it's not the wrong one. 
people making fun of the project, in this case, the room. The Room Minute is a production of Lemming Drops Studio. You can find more content at lemmingdrops.com. Follow The Room Minute on all the obvious social media. If you've got any stupid comments after the show, you can leave them in your pocket on Facebook. If you like what you hear, throw us a rating and review on your podcatcher of choice. Thank you for listening, and remember, if a lot of people loved each other, the world would be a better place to live. Um, I already gave my best, and there's, I have no regrets at all. Good for you. That's good. That's, now that's, that's good. good. That's good. That's the best attitude yet. Cut.